Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. You know, um, a little bit ago, I had the opportunity to uh, have a very, very short interview with Lauren Marino. And uh, the interview was about uh, the book, uh, her book, What Would Dolly Do? How to Be a Diamond in a Rhinestone World. And I was so taken aback by not only Lauren, but by the book and by the message. And one of the things that um, I remember is growing up with a mom, first of all, who was from the South, and second of all, who so loved, loved Dolly Parton and anything about it. And so any conversation about it, anything, any quote, any saying, any song. And, you know, when I think about this and I think about how much my mom born in a very, very small, small town and my grandparents living in a town, y'all can look it up, Victoria, Virginia, and what it meant. What are some of the values? What happens when you've grown up? in an arena like this. And so those of you that listened to the last show, you heard me share a little bit about my mom's wisdom, a woman who had her first child at 12 and her second child at 13. But today we're looking at what does this mean? What is it about telling this story that is so important to hear? But this is what Lauren does. You know, before her career as a writer and a collaborator, vice president, editorial director of Gotham Books, and she was a founding editor in uh, 2001. So think about publishing multiple bestsellers. Think about publishing them in a variety of categories. And think about how immersed one gets in the world of writing, publishing, ghostwriting, Uh, and being somebody that knows how to take the written word and tell a story. Now, here's how this is so relevant to the world we live in. Right now, the number one reason for radio slash talk radio podcasting to be on such a powerful trajectory is it's all in the story. Lauren, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I want to ask you this question that I ask everybody. I've been doing it for a while. I just give people a little sneak peek about you, your life, your journey. I want to ask you, what are some of the challenges, having been you and being you today, what are some of the challenges you have had to personally overcome to bring you to this very moment? Well, 
Uh, there were, you know, there were many. Um, you know, I, I worked in the corporate world in book publishing, which is very competitive um, and full of Ivy Leaguers. And I wasn't an Ivy Leaguer. I felt like mm-hmm. I didn't have the education. But I somehow persevered because I love books so much and because I, I'm, I love them so much I was willing to work incredibly hard. Um, I worked so hard for so many years to become the editorial director of Gotham Books because there is mm-hmm. a, there is a specific career trajectory. Uh, but I had I had um, I, I gave up uh, relationships, uh, friendships, love. I had I had uh, someone I was in love with tell me you care about your work more than you care about me, and he left me. Um, but I was so devoted to what I was doing that I just put everything else aside. And, I, you know, I probably got myself a little bit burnt out. But yeah. because I published so many books that I, I would say were motivational or inspirational or tra- about transformation, editing all those books and working with these incredible writers and authors, I, I learned a lot about mindfulness. I learned a lot about balance. I learned about how to handle negative emotions. So I, I really learned on the job, not so much just through the work, but through the, the work that I was editing and with the authors that I was working on. And in a way, I, be, I was very selfish in that I, I acquired, you know, as an editor, your job is to not only edit the book, but you, you sign up the project for the publishing house. And so... Mm-hmm. I found myself acquiring books that were all about spiritual transformation and personal growth um, across the board for, for all different types of audiences, uh, from all different types of authors and writers from different backgrounds. And there were just some, some co- you know, there were common themes that I guess uh, spoke to me and if it struck a chord with me, I felt that I could get this out there into the world and help, you know, help it strike a chord with other people. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's not so much the personal challenges, but I found myself, um, I got married when I was in my late 30s, and uh-huh. I had a baby when I was 39 and another baby when I was 40. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear to me, you know, I, I had to go back to work after 12 weeks, six weeks paid, six weeks unpaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the process of moving apartments. Everything I owned was in boxes. I didn't fit into my clothes. And my um, my husband, now ex-husband, lost <laughs> his job. Yeah, uh, boy. All of, all of this was happening. <laughs> So I had to go back to work, and I and I was exhausted, and I really had to. It, it was such a wake up call because I think, and I and I find this with a lot of the younger women that I worked with, that until in, almost until you become a mother, you don't realize how hard women have it, right? And that I had to do everything at home. I had to do everything at the office. They kept promoting me because I became incredibly efficient um, and no nonsense because I didn't have any time to waste. But my life changed dramatically, but the marriage fell apart, and 
it was a long, a drawn-out divorce, so it was emotionally draining, but it was, it was financially damaging to me. And then I lost my job, all, you know, all around oh, yeah. the same time. Yeah, so I, I had, get it. You know, I had these two little kids. I was unemployed for the first time in 27 years. I was told by the outplacement office that I only had two more years before I became, quote-unquote, unemployable because of my age. Yes. Which is outrageous. <laughs> uh, but it's true. They don't want anyone over 50 in these companies um, because they can, you know, so I had to really start over in every way and keep it together uh, throughout all of that for the sake of my children. But I also had to keep a roof over their head and figure out how to pay the bills. And I became, I was very lucky and I, I, I knew I wasn't going to go back into the corporate world, but I needed to make money. So I started ghostwriting and collaborating with other people, but there were a couple of very rough years um, where I was making a fraction of what I had been earning, and I had to cut way back. I had to cut way back on my expenses. I had to give up a lot of things in regards to my lifestyle. Um, I was... I never, you know, didn't know when the next check was coming in. It takes a long time to get paid when you're freelancing. Writing is really hard work and time-consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so there were a lot of challenges. Fighting with, fighting with the ex-husband throughout all of this and trying to keep these kids, you know, on the straight and narrow um, and not, not have them be too devastated or aware of what was going on. So those were all of the challenges. And I think... I had a particularly rough time where I really didn't know where my next check was coming from. And I, 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 I think I told this story a little bit last time. Yeah, yeah. But, but Dolly Parton kept showing up in my life. And she yes. was, I grew up in Cincinnati, and I was a huge fan of hers. Country music is very big in Cincinnati. And I had, I had gone and seen her as a child, and it was, um, it, it was almost a spiritual moment. To me, and to me, music really is a spiritual experience. And, um, you know, I like to see music by myself because it's almost meditative, and I really get into the message of the music. So, so as a child, I love Dolly. I then saw uh, Kristen Chenoweth on Broadway for her one-woman show. My friends came up to visit me to cheer me up because I was really falling into a deep depression. And they took me to Kristen Chenoweth, who did a monologue about how Dolly Parton was her role model growing up and that she didn't have any strong female role models. She wanted to be Dolly Parton. And then she sang Little Sparrow, which is such a simple Mm. song lyrics-wise. But the emotion that Kristen sang it with just knocked me on the floor, and I started sobbing in the theater, and I said, I have to go, what was that all about? Why, am I, why is it resonating with me in, in such a powerful way? And it's really all about, I am not that little sparrow. I, mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can be strong. I can bounce back. I mean, that's how I, I guess I interpreted the song. Uh, and I just started researching Dolly and 
it was inc- that I, I found out so many amazing things I don't about her. I, I don't think a lot of people right quite know how much she has accomplished. Oh no, the, they don't. The they obstacles don't. that she had to overcome, right? And the what, what she has contributed to the American Songbook, mm-hmm. to the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also a huge philanthropist, and she gives back. She's one of the biggest literacy advocate mm-hmm. in the country, really in the world, with the with her imagination library. Oh. And, and she's 72, touring around, still doing new things. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to turn 50 and here I am starting over and I don't know what's going to happen, if Dolly can keep doing that over and over, so can I. And Absolutely. If she, can, if she can keep reinventing herself every decade and complete, you know, exploring new avenues and going into different parts of her professional life, so can I. And it's a learning curve, but it, she inspired me to do it. And so the real, the incredible joy is that I've been writing in journals and writing like little books since I was a tiny child, since I learned to read and write. I've always been a writer, but I had a 27-year career helping other writers get their word out into the world. So the Dolly book, my book. So for me to be a published writer at 50 years old, uh, to pay homage to a woman who inspired me to write about her, it, it just worked on so many levels. It helped me fulfill... She helped me fulfill my own dream of being a published writer mm-hmm. through her yeah. lessons. Yeah. yeah. So let me tell you why I love what you're talking about. My friend uh, Ruby Betty does a regular show with us, and we were talking about the power of recalibrating in the cosmos. Dolly Parton is uh, one of those people that I'm a girl from the Bronx, New York, whose dad happened to remarry after my mom, my birth mom passed away. And he married this woman, this amazing woman, Doris Glover, who absolutely was not only from the South, but you heard my story. So I got to grow up. I am the most least likely person that you will find that absolutely adores uh, country, old school, Merrill Haggard country, right? Old school. Dolly Parton, the biggest fight my dad and my mom ever had that I witnessed was over Dolly Parton. <laughs> what was I, the fight I mean, about? <laughs> I, and, you know, so let's think about this for a minute. So what does it say about, I know what it said about my dad, because I know what the fight was over, but my mom so aligned with her struggle, right. her perseverance, and, oh, my God, am I going to get choked up here when I talk about this? Mm. Woo, boy. Um, She'll do that to you. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about my mom. We were three girls, and my mom would have us sing songs together as girls, like lip sync, you know, but sing. Right. Because she wanted us to um, establish a level of self-esteem and confidence. Sure. And I remember we would we would get a bunch of songs. She would have an album because records. Okay, we're talking records, folks. For you, just go back and Google this now. And you'll <laughs> find, they can Google Jolene, the album, right? Oh, if absolutely. You, right, yeah. okay. 
if you Google the album, uh, which my mom like would had, right? There's a little song on that album that she had the three of us girls sing. So we had to learn three songs one month. One of them was Connie Francis song. Who's sorry now? Oh, My mother it. must have feeling been feeling a little uh, like uh, like I don't know, lovesick. Who's sorry now? And then I will always love you. Oh yeah. I could not sing a lick. Could not sing a lick. But what my mom was telling us, and I want to ask you about this. She was telling us about a woman who never gave up. My mom knew more about Dolly Parton as I look at this now, even as we grew older together and she passed away very suddenly. You know, she knew so much about this woman, her journey, but she was also acutely aware of how the public would criticize her. And, And I want to ask you, from what you've written in this book, Can you bring us fast forward to how Dolly's messages are so relevant to the world we live in? And boy, you did a beautiful job. By the way, the book is What Would Dolly Do? And I would love to give a copy of this, Benny, right now. 1-800-930-2819. You did such an amazing job. I want to talk about today and Dolly's messages for today's world. Sure. Yes. Yes. Isn't it more? Meaningful? Aren't her messages more meaningful now than they've ever been? I think so. I think mm-hmm. so because the world is in a difficult place and the country is in a in a very divisive mm. state. And uh, you know, she started out in the early six nineteen sixties, and here we are in twenty eighteen, and women are still struggling with the same issues that Dolly had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there is still. Women are still fighting their battles and have to work harder uh, to get paid less. And, you know, interestingly enough, Margot Price, who's the new up-and-coming or, or, or has already arrived, uh, they call her the new Dolly Parton. She has a song out called Pay Gap. Mm. Uh, and it's all about, you know, pay gap, pay gap. Why are you cutting my dollars in half? Oh, and, and it's about her as a country music singer. Why is she getting paid less than the men in the same profession? Mm-hmm. So some of it, you know, it's about what, what Dolly was doing was saying, I want to own all my own songs. I'm not going to give them away. Uh, I value what I do. I, I'm going to work hard. Uh, Elvis wanted to record I Will oh. Always Love You. Yeah. and. She was so excited. She wasn't, she wasn't a big star yet. She had been on the Porter Wagner show, but she was just starting her solo career. And Colonel Tom, Elvis's manager, notorious manager, called her, said, Elvis wants to record it, come into the studio. They had everything planned out. She was bragging about it to everyone. And the night before, Colonel Tom called and said, well, you know, Elvis doesn't record anything that he doesn't own the rights to. So you're going to have to give him the publishing rights. And she just burst into tears and said, absolutely not. I can't. This is one of the most important, meaningful songs in my songbook. Uh, Mm -hmm. So she turned Elvis down and 
cut to, uh, you know, the 90s when The Bodyguard came out and Whitney mm-hmm. Houston turned it into a huge number one hit. Oh. Um, most people don't even realize that Dolly no. wrote that song. A lot of people think that Whitney wrote it. But I know. it was the number one best-selling hit on the country charts and the pop charts several times over the course of 40 years. So by staying, yeah. by sticking to her values and her her determination to succeed and knowing her value and knowing that her work was valuable, she turned down Elvis Presley, the biggest star of the time, and it paid off for her. It paid off for her financially, but it paid off for her spiritually, too. And, and many people have since recorded that song and interpreted it, and it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, but the song is about her breakup with Porter Wagner, not a romantic yes. breakup, but her professional breakup with him because she was writing all of the music that they were singing on the show, but it was his show. So he was, you know, they were splitting the writing credits, even though she was the one doing the songwriting. And it got to the point where seven years with him, she was becoming more popular and she felt like she needed to strike out on her own and he would not let her go. Oh, and he, he ended up suing her for a million dollars, which a million dollars is, is a, a lot. lot of money in any day. In the, yeah. in the early 1970s, it was a tremendous amount of money and she certainly didn't have it. Uh, but she ended up taking years to pay him back or mm-hmm. to pay him uh, in order to get out of her to get out of that show and to go start on her own solo career. And because of her appearance, I think because of the way she looks, I mean, we know about the boob jokes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, it, that it, was it. That was yeah. the fight. Yes. Yes. That, that the, was oh, the who f- is it? She's just a, a, she's got big blonde oh. hair and big boobs. Oh, and my it, dad made one comment, one comment at dinner. And I got to tell you, my mom took a plate of spaghetti. Boom. <laughs> I, no. I, I, that is the last time that my dad said anything about Darley Park. Right. Right. People don't know her backstory and how hard she worked and what she had to go through to get to where she is. And, uh, you know, she, she sort of takes this whole, it, it's an extreme sort of uh, image of femininity and she was always criticized for it. Uh, and, and to this day, even after everything that she has accomplished, people still look at that. They can't get past it to the mm-hmm. incredible talent. I mean, she's written thousands of incredible songs. She's the biggest literacy advocate in the country. She's given away mm-hmm. 100 million books to children under the age of five who otherwise would not have books in their house. She's... Give, she's employed, you know, half of her of her home state of Tennessee with all mm-hmm. of her businesses. Uh, she really just she gives back and gives back, and she. Um, a lot of people don't aren't aware of all of that work. They're that not aware does. because that is the one thing that that this is why you and I are talking about. For those of you uh, just tuning in, I'm talking with Lauren Marino. She has written this book, What Would Dolly Do? How to Be a Diamond in the Rhinestone World. This is a must read for all y'all out there, you, your children. And as a matter of fact, um, I'm actually gifting this book to a very de- near and dear young uh, 10-year-old and her family. Um, 
But I have another copy to give away. Thank you, Benny. 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. Let's talk about some of the Dollyisms because uh, I made that word up. I don't even know if that's true. I was what I call them. (laughs) Is that what it is? Okay. uh, In March, I think it was March, maybe April, April or March, um, Dolly had come out for the opening day of uh, uh, the Dollywood in 2018. She came out. And this is the first time I heard her talk about the fact that she was seriously open to a reunion with Lily and Jane, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, uh, about the nine to five. And one of the things she says was uh, she, she, she's reconsidering. She says, this is her quote, since all this stuff is coming up again with the women in equal pay and all that stuff, she thinks the time is right, she said. And Absolutely. so let's talk about what kind of advocate she is. Because when she was in nine to five, the three of, the, the three of those ladies were called hypocrites. All the words that those three were called was mind boggling. We now know none of that was true. Right. But right. 9-5 was pivotal for her and yes. uncompromising for those three ladies, wasn't it? Yes. And it was, it was her first movie, which is yeah. incredible. And she, she went in there without any acting background. <laughs> she, she memorized the entire script. She didn't know Hollywood or the rules of Hollywood. And, and Jane was actually was concerned that the, the mostly male crew... Uh, would not accept her, you know, that they would just think she was a dumb, blonde hillbilly. Uh, but she went in there. She she was incredibly prepared. She memorized the entire script, uh, not realizing that as an actor, she really didn't have to memorize the entire script. She could just memorize her own part. And she ended up not only charming the entire cast and crew with her sweetness, but showed them how professional she was and how what a hard worker she was. And she ended up feeding some of the lines to her co-stars when they were fumbling with them. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she says she basically just acted like herself. Um, but that movie brought all of these things to light maybe for the first time. And it's hard to believe it was 1980. Um, and, and really, I guess women in the workforce at that time, it, you know, on their, as opposed to just being secretaries like the Mad Men era and then marrying their bosses and, and having really no, you know, very, uh, having it be so difficult to have a future. It was the first time women were in there doing uh, a different level of work. But women had only really been in the workforce in that capacity for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, already, already they saw how they were being treated. And that culture still exists today in many, yeah. many industries. And uh, we don't need to get into Silicon Valley and yeah. the 17%, um, you know, of, of programmers are women and the rest are men, but the, it's, it, Oh, yeah. And and let's be clear. The latest statistic just came out about women in construction uh, under earning 48 percent. So it's everywhere. But, you know, here's the thing that I love. My mom 
um, you know, here she is in New York, Italian family, my dad, uh, uh, her two daughters, then there's me. And she had to battle the fact that she was a Southern girl. And Dolly has said this and my mom has said it. And, you know, and I can hear her right now, you know, just talking right now, I can hear her. Dolly would say, you know, listen, I'm proud of it. I'm proud to be a Southern girl. And I grew up being born in the Bronx, also saying, I'm proud to be a Southern girl. And my, my stepmom stopped me one day and she said, honey, 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 you gotta be sad. You gotta be proud to be a Bronx girl too. So you can be, she would say, honey, you can be a Bronx Southern girl. That's it. (laughs) That's what you are. You're a Bronx Southern girl. And then my two sisters were like, oh no, she can't be a Bronx Southern girl and no Southern girl. So they're like, mom, but I'm in the Bronx. So are we Bronx Southern? My mom says, yeah, girls, yeah, y'all, y'all are Bronx Southern girls. And that was the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite Dolly quote, though? I mean, I'm so reminded about all this stuff, my mom would say. But what is it about Dolly that holds so close to your heart today? What is it about her? I really, I feel like when I was reading her, her biography, her autobiographies, or watching her interview, being interviewed when I was doing all the research for the book, she, she I mean, first of all, she's a writer. And yeah. people, you know, again, they don't necessarily think of her as a writer. She's an incredible writer. And not just of songs, she writes all sorts of things. Now, she hasn't published a lot of them yet, but mm-hmm. maybe someday, um, maybe someday we'll have the privilege of seeing what she's written. But she has a, a almost, she has a way of taking words and having pithy, smart sayings, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, don't be so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Yeah. I think my mother got me a little pillow, like, that goes on the doorknob. Yeah. Back in, in my 20s that said that because I was such a workaholic. And yeah. I had no idea that it was Dolly who had come up with that. Mm-hmm. But also, if you want the rainbow, you have to put up with the rain, which is absolutely true. Um, I think a lot of the things that she talks that like her, her Dollyisms, her quotes, are really about understanding the balance of life, that there's good things that are going to happen to you, there are bad things that are going to happen to you, and that's just part of being a human being, and that you, when you're aware of that, you can ride through the rough times a little bit better. You know, you, you always know you can come out of it and that things will eventually improve. Um, yeah, I know the one that my mom grabbed onto was something like, you know, like my mom would say, listen, girls, listen, this is the way it is. If you want the rainbow, you got to sit, you got to be, you got to be willing to just hang in there and put up with the rain. And I know that was a Dolly quote. I didn't yes. know it till later. Yes. Right. I didn't know it till later, but there are so many of these beautiful, beautiful insights to life, and right. you've well, done you- such an incredible job in capturing them in this book. Thank you, thank you. I mean, it, it's because I was inspired by her. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I really, I truly was, and I was sad to have to stop researching her and I was sad to, to finish mm-hmm. the book because I was so happy writing it and I it 
really turned my life around mm-hmm. writing about her. She really, she's my role model. Um, and I think she's a lot of people role, role models. I've, I've gotten a lot of um, emails or Instagram texts from various people who I don't know who have read the book, and they say, I have, oh, you know, there was a hairdresser in Louisville, Kentucky, who sent me uh, a message and said, I have always looked to her as my role model of what it means to be a professional. And, you know, she always says in the book, I talk about it, but she says, be a professionalist. Yeah. Somewhat perfectionist, but always be professional, always show up on time. She talks about running businesses, but a lot of her, a lot of her dollyisms. Yes, there's the how to succeed in business, but to me, you know, the subtitle of the book comes from one of her quotes: "It's hard to be a diamond in a rhinestone world." Mm-hmm. And I think in the age of reality television and internet and Snapchat and Pinterest and social media, people like rhinestones you know it's like they're fast they're digestible they're 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 shiny for a second mm-hmm. and then they disappear but a diamond is forever to use the, to use the commercial quote you know a diamond comes a diamond through intense pressure uh so so the more pressure you have to earn that to become a diamond yeah. and that's what she's saying is that, you know, when we live in a world where the, where the sort of shiny and the shallow uh, are what is valued, it's not easy to stay true to who you are and to stay authentic and to really dig deep and to develop a yeah. spiritual life and to be kind and loving and to give back and to keep working hard day after day no matter what and taking care of your family and having people in your life uh, that are valuable to you, no matter how successful you become, she has become that diamond. Yeah. She really earned it. And that's what we need more of in this world. We need more people who are willing to go through. mm -hmm. It's it's the hard way. I know. Well, listen, before we kind of zip through this, um, I want to please tell folks your website and also how they can get a copy of this book. Um, uh, it's, I just love it. And by the way, to this day, rhinestones are part of my wardrobe. And I know they came from my mom dressing us three girls up. Every outfit had to have the rhinestone. I know she got it from Dolly. I know oh, I it. Love it. I, I love know it. it. But <laughs> you can ask any one of my friends. I got rhinestone ear. You, you, you just name it. Um, but how can people find out more about you? Uh, Lauren, how can they get a copy of your book? How can sure. they find out about the work that you do? All of the above, please. Well, my, my website is www.laurenmarinoeditorial.com. It's laurenmarinoeditorial.com. On there, uh, there is a page devoted to What Would Dolly Do that has a, a description of the book and a link. And from that link, you can buy the book. There's also a page, a contact page where um, my email address is, so you can contact me if you want to. And it describes my career, and the uh, it shows a lot of the different books that I've edited or uh, collaborated on over the years. 
but the book should be in, it's in bookstores all across the country, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart. Uh, you can buy it online at Urban Outfitters. It's not in the physical stores. Uh, but I, and I know the independent booksellers have been terrific um, and have, have uh, been taking a lot of copies, Books a Million. Um, so it, sh- it should be available anywhere. And, you know, when all else fails, you can always go to Amazon is easy. One click and you'll have it the next day. Mm. What do you think is, last question, what's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with? And what do you think is Dolly's next move? Well, uh, I wrote the book because I felt inspired and she inspired and encouraged me. And that's Mm. what I want people to take away from it. I want them to feel if they have a dream and they feel like it's just, or or they're going through challenging times that seem Mm -hmm. insurmountable, I want them to know that they can persevere, they can put their nose down and with their head mm. down, and they can get through this oh, man. bad period and, and really lift themselves up. I love it. Laura, everybody, Lauren Marino, I'm Dr. Pat. If you missed any part of this, it'll play tonight. Hey, everybody, we'll see you next time. Swim against. Preceding audio was via a Skype call.